date is Friday, April 29th, and you're listening to Entertain This, a thought-provoking podcast encapsulating all things entertainment. On this special fifth Friday of the month, we brought on our fact checker to fill the gap and bring us another stellar episode. And today we're talking about a film director by the name of Wes Anderson. He's directed movies like The Grand Budapest Hotel and The Fantastic Mr. Fox, among many, many more. So listen in and enjoy. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to your favorite show on the internet encapsulating all things entertainment. It's Entertain This. Entertain This. As always, I'm Alex. I'm Michael. And I'm Nick. And this is also the only show on the internet that takes 40 minutes to start. That's right. We are 40 minutes late on recording this episode because we were too busy gabbing like a bunch of people who gab and are not gender specific. We call Uh, them gabbies. Yeah, we're just a bunch of gibby gabbies over here <laughs> talking about we just missed each other so much that so we just had to gab and gab and gab. It's been a while. And make fart jokes and poop jokes and pee jokes and <laughs> everything in between. Yeah. Everything in between. <laughs> Guys, it is such a strange feeling being in a week such as this. <laughs> of course, I'm referring to a fifth week of a month. Um as we are classically trained in elementary school, there are usually four weeks in a month. Four weeks make up one month. They don't tell you about the mystical, magical fifth week that sometimes happens in a month, or more importantly, the fifth uh, Friday, mm-hmm. which is to say if the month starts on a Friday, sometimes you get a little fifth Friday sneaking in on you. Mm-hmm. So for a show that releases every Friday, it becomes difficult to keep track of your four uh, your four week set up where it's a host of the show host of the show host of the show guest of the show mm-hmm. um and sometimes we gotta call in a little help now some of you are well aware that uh it takes more than three to steer this ship uh ye old entertain this pearl um <laughs> I'd, I'd argue that the three of us make things worse <laughs> i would say it's harder especially yeah. if if Today's episode and beginning today's episode was an indicative survey of how running this show goes. I feel bad for our fourth member and arguably the captain of the ship. Yeah. Uh, Because she had to start and stop about a hundred times before we finally just said go live. And then Nick said fart and piss on air. So did not. Well, you did in the live version, but I will edit it out. Um, Without further ado, you guys know her, you love her, and she comes on to tell us when we're wrong. It's Chloe Price. Hey! Yay, Chloe! It's Woo. me. Now, Chloe. Your girl. Uh, What's up? I've been watching a lot of a trial that I'm not going to mention because I feel like it's in bad taste. Names redacted. Exactly. <laughs> so I'm going to ask this question in the form that they would there because that's what my brain wants to do. But please provide if this is correct or not. When we contractually hired you to be our fact checker and offered you no pay, our bit of compensation that we did offer um, was disclosed as every extra Friday you would get to host. Is that correct? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm not sure. There is no written contract, first of all. And second of all, even if there was, I'm not sure that it would specifically say that if there happens to be a fifth week where... No one else is available. 
you guys throw me a pity episode and I try I to don't think it's deliver. A pity it's not a pity episode. It's like we, we offer it to you and you have first grabs. We're like, hmm. hey, do you want this episode? And at any point you could tell us no and we'd have to do something else. But, but we I do am offer an it to you first. Fount of entertainment knowledge. So, you Which know, is, why not lend my skills? It's very isn't useful. It, isn't it just Thank a, you. a metaphor to society that us three men spout garbage about how hard it is to come up with a topic every week? <laughs> Meanwhile, in the background, there's a woman who is just bursting with ideas for topics, and we have just completely hushed her out. And we let her out of her box every once in a while nah, to do an episode. this is your show. I'm just visiting. Uh, fair enough. Well, you, well you're, a for permanent, you're a permanent <laughs> fixture, but you are visiting um, verbally for sure. Pinch hitter. Uh, it's baseball. Y- I'm going to stop talking and let you take over now. It is your episode, so have at it. Thanks. Um, and, you know, once again, it's nice to be here with my boys. Um, today, I'm going to be talking about a certain film director. I think that certain movies can cast a spell over us and kind of take us to a different world. The characters seem like people we already know, or the colors of the scenery are super enchanting. Maybe a family's house feels like your own or I already your know who you're talking about. You talk about Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Written Directino. We love we love that weirdo foot guy. Um, yeah, I like some of his movies, but as, as a person, I probably wouldn't do a whole podcast about him. No, he looks weird too. Continue. <laughs> He's a weird looking guy. Um, <laughs> so you're nice watching a movie and you know, you love it and it sticks with you and it begs to be rewatched when you need some kind of comfort. <laughs> and I think personally that Wes Anderson is one of the greatest movie directors working Ooh. today. Oh. And each one of his films somehow provides this unique experience of making you feel seen and heard and entertained. If his movies didn't entertain me, I'd think that he'd be a pretty shit director, but feeling heard for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have a quote that I'm going to run, but of course I will give you some examples. But first, I want to share this. Okay, so this quote, I'm going to read it first, and then I'm going to tell you who said it. (laughs) Wes Anderson has a very special kind of talent. He knows how to convey the simple joys and interactions between people so well and with such richness. This kind of sensibility is rare in movies. Can we take a guess? Well, sure. Uh, Let's (laughs) all get one in. Yeah, everybody give me a guess. Owen Wilson. Okay. We'll get back to him. Uh oh shoot, what's the, Bill Murray? We'll also get back to him. Oh, that's a good guess. Uh I don't know. I can't correlate Wes Anderson with any of his movies, so forgive me. I'm just gonna Can say I take Jim oh, Carrey. Okay, fine. Can I have one more? <laughs> I don't know. Gimme. I just want one more one more guess. One one more. Um I don't remember his name. 
It's Clooney. not George Clooney. George Clooners. It is Martin Scorsese, <laughs> director oh. of Taxi Driver, Goodfellas, Casino, The Departed. That's fucking wild because Some all of, of the those, hardest movies. All of those movies are the exact fucking opposite of what. Yeah, and he was like, mm-hmm. I just love his style. Like, this guy can appeal to anybody. That reminds <laughs> me of that picture where it's like the happiest of Japanese artists make the darkest of <laughs> yeah. art yep. and then the yeah. saddest of Japanese these artists make the like most weeaboo of art (laughs) interesting well today i'm going to be talking about wes anderson and his book of films and hopefully by the end i will implore at least you nick to watch one of them yeah i've seen most of them being that i've dated chloe for almost three years yeah i have not been dating chloe but i have also seen most of them yeah but you are a little cutesy pants you just love it he liked the cute stuff it's not i do it's it's not i like it all right so wesley wales anderson wales what a name right wales where's he from the country okay like the country okay Mm -hmm. wow not like the animal (laughs) he is a 52 year old filmmaker he's from houston texas his father worked in advertising and public relations and his mother was a realtor and an archaeologist like okay go off queen what the fuck Mm -hmm. she would dig up the (laughs) land and then she would sell it or she would have okay was she a real i'm not sure that they were related i googled her i tried to figure out like if she had some kind of like i'm a realtor and an archaeologist page but there's like she has no internet presence unfortunately yeah well i think that uh, i did try here's the hot her name is texas ann burrows if anyone wants to and she gave her middle name wales Uh (laughs) her name is texas i think that uh, i don't want to you're the fact checker so you'll have to tell me but go ahead um it kind of sounds like there's this thing in real like when you're a realtor that like you are if you're selling land specifically you have to have people come in like professional archaeologists to make sure it's not like a an uh, indian burial ground indian burial ground Mm -hmm. ceremonial spot you know historical whatever whatever yeah it's probably be super easy if you were just like i'm an archaeologist and a realtor so i'm just gonna (laughs) dig up some shit myself and then get this thing on the market you know that's true maybe she scouted out land for her next house i don't know Wish I could tell you. She's elusive. <laughs> We're going to catch her one of these days. <laughs> well, he is the second of three boys that this unlikely couple had, but they divorced when Anderson was eight years old. Sad face. His, mm. Yes. His older brother, Mel, is a physician, and his younger brother, Eric, is a writer and an artist whose paintings and designs have been featured in some of his movies, such as The Royal Tenenbaums. Mm. Woo! So we love a little brother collab. Uh, When he was a kid, he made silent films on his father's Super 8 camera featuring his brothers and his friends. I don't know if any of you have seen the movie Super 8, but um, it's pretty awesome. (laughs) Nothing to do with Wes Anderson, but Super 8 cameras are cute. It's just neat. I bought a Super 8 after seeing that. (laughs) Um, And then he attended... A private school called St. John's School, which became the setting for one of his films called Rushmore. And then Mm -hmm. he attended the University of Texas at Austin, where he met his roommate and future collaborator, Owen Wilson. Wow. Told you we'd be back to him. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Nice. Mary. He graduated from University of Texas in 1991 with a BA in philosophy. So. Okay. He's an interesting guy. (laughs) Um, His very first film was 
a movie, a short film called Bottle Rocket that starred brothers Luke and Owen Wilson. And he ended up turning it into a full length feature film that came out in 1996 about three young Texas boys with nothing to lose who plan a robbery together. And it kind of establishes um, his tendency to foray into the caper genre he mm. loves to have little capers and little heists and hmm. well, thieving uh, things. That that makes so much sense now that you said that he started with making like silent movies. Mm-hmm. Like the silent movie era, era was full of those heists and caper sorts of films. That is so films. true. And as as a person who watches his movies a lot, it really makes sense a lot of like the exaggerated action and motion that he uses and it just makes it so much fun yeah um so his second film which was just two years later he immediately turned around production is called rushmore which is set at the school that he attended starring a very young jason schwartzman bill murray and a woman named olivia williams and in this movie uh jason's character is infatuated with an elementary school teacher who is connected to the school so he's got a big crush on her and bill murray is kind of the professor who's like you can't be doing that thank god somebody's (laughs) there saying you can't be doing that we've seen one too many movies like the graduate where no one's there to be like you can't be doing that and they absolutely do it <laughs> so Bill Murray is in this film, and after this, he went on to star in every Anderson film that has since been made. He is a staple to yeah. Wes's work. I would just wouldn't you love to have lunch with them? He's what a, a Wes. He's a Wes Anderson. Wes Anderson. Um, Trademark guess- it quick. <laughs> Get it. <laughs> you know, like Stan. Stan, Stan. like Stan. to be a Stan. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I Stan. Yeah. He's a West Standerson. <laughs> that works, I guess. <laughs> and a Standardson. This is mm-hmm. a comedy show, folks. Maybe. That's pretty good, too. <laughs> <laughs> We're trying. We're workshopping. That's good rude. Bits. Good bits. <laughs> <laughs> so then his third film comes out three years later. It's called The Royal Tenenbaums. And this is really when he kind of started to gain some traction. It came out in 2001. It starred Gene Hackman, Angelica Houston. And then those are the parents. And Ben Stiller, Luke Wilson, and Gwyneth Paltrow play their kids. Hmm. And they're this successful, artistic family in New York who are all estranged from their father, Gene Hackman. And you really start to see his style solidify in this movie in that his shots are symmetrical and they focus on one room where something is happening on a static and you watch a character do something for a while. Um, And it's also the first time you kind of see that he plays with these like limited color palettes because it's all kind of like it's very pastel like colors in the Royal Tenenbaums. It's the first time that he... We see this style from him. This is where you get that meme where you're like, oops, I forgot I was in a Wes Anderson movie. And then like the <laughs> outfits change. Yeah. Um, and I also think this is what spurred the creation of the Instagram page. Accidentally, Wes Anderson. That makes which sense. Which is mm. <laughs> definitely something to check out. It's That's had a whole a book published of the works, probably. Um And then we go on to his fourth film, which came out three years later. He has a very quick turnaround. Um, This is called The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. And this is the first Wes Anderson film that I ever saw. And it's the reason that I kind of fell in love with his work. Hmm. Um, 
Bill Murray is Steve Zissou, Zissou, who's this kind of like Jacques Cousteau-esque documentary filmmaker who is searching for the elusive and mythical jaguar shark that killed his partner during an exploration. So they're out, you know, on the waters and his partner gets eaten by the shark and it becomes his life's mission to find it. His, um, his white whale. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. Is this a remake of Moby Dick? <laughs> <laughs> the film also stars Owen Wilson as a son he finds out that he has. Uh, Kate Blanchett, who wow. is a journalist who comes along on the exploration. Willem Dafoe, Jeff Goldblum, Angelica Houston again, and Michael Gambon. Um, and this is kind of the first film where you see Anderson start to play around with the use of miniatures. Like they have this massive ship that they all live in that has like 20 rooms on it. And he created the ship and then would film the characters and kind of place them in so that you could see this big grand scope of all of them doing what they were doing on the ship during this exploration. Hmm. And it's mesmerizing. And at one point they go on an underwater expedition and there are some miniatures of like these mythical sea creatures Throughout the whole movie, it's it's hinted that, like, there are creatures that exist in this world that don't exist in ours. Like, the jaguar shark is not a thing. Yeah. But. Sounds, sounds you know, reasonable enough where it maybe could be. Right. You're like, is it, though? I'm going to have <laughs> to look it up. Feverishly, it's got to be real. <laughs> <laughs> jaguar shark. <laughs> <laughs> got to watch out for another shark when I'm swimming in the ocean. Come on now. <laughs> um, and it also has... Um, you know, some elements of the other like caper movies. At one point, there's like a shootout in an abandoned hotel. So he stays very consistent in his style and his work. Uh, for his fifth film, it is called The Darjeeling Limited. It came out in 2007. Train. Again, about a three year turnaround. Trains. <laughs> yes. Hey, is this one I knew. Train. I knew that Nick would eat the shit up. How did he know this was about a train being that he's never seen a Wes a Anderson film? Oh, okay. And that's the only thing he retained. This yep. is going to be the only Wes Anderson movie he fucking watches. And you know what? That's fine. It's it? my least favorite, but Ooh. that's none of my business. It's about a train. How could you not love it? I know that, uh, I know that it's, it's uh, a train in India. Yes. And the limited means it's like a upscale passenger service. So it's going right. somewhere where the hoity-toity people are going to be riding on it. Yes. So we have three estranged brothers who all come from a pretty well-to-do background, but they are all in a fight with each other on this tightly packed exclusive train called the Darjeeling Limited. And we see Jason Schwartzman make a return, Owen Wilson make a return, wow. and we see the addition of Adrian Brody who is delightful. Mm -hmm. And this script was co-written by Wes Anderson, Jason Schwartzman, and Roman Coppola. Coppola! Just to Coppola. name drop. <laughs> I'm going to be doing a lot of name dropping Let's by the end of this. <laughs> like a lot of name dropping. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. The Darjeeling Limited is a great movie. It's another one. You know, it's another triumph for Wes Anderson. But personally, I think it just doesn't have the substance and the depth that some of the others do not a big um, coppola fan huh <laughs> whatever man i guess not i guess in the in the sense that there were three writers that just kind of lost a through line for me owen wilson looks like yeah. shit in this movie 
Yeah, they all beat the shit out of each other. Good. So there's that. <laughs> looks great. You know, brotherly love. I have three brothers. I know. <laughs> shit gets rough. Um, but the Darjeeling Limited was kind of Wes Anderson's tribute, and it was heavily inspired by an Indian filmmaker named Satyajit Ray. Um, his body of work would not be familiar to us, but he was heavily influenced by these movies that were made in like the 1940s and 50s where, you know, they were just starting to have real dialogue and deeper plots. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was kind of his love letter to his favorite filmmaker. Mm. Then we come up on his sixth film, which is a, my personal favorite. It is called Fantastic Mr. Fox. Fantastic mm. be somewhere to fox them. No. All right. <laughs> <laughs> this came out in 2009, which blows my mind. He had to have been working on this while he was making all these other movies because it is a stop motion claymation film. Ooh. Yeah. And it is absolutely gorgeous. Mm-hmm. It features the voice talents of George Clooney as the fantastic Mr. Fox, mm. Meryl Streep as his wife. Owen Wilson again, Bill Murray again, Willem Dafoe again, Jason Schwartzman, Adrian Brody, Michael Gambon. He and called in his, all the favors. All his faves. <laughs> and he used the talents of his brother, Eric, as a voice talent. And you see some of his painting work featured in this movie as well. Woo-woo. Um, It is based on a Roald Dahl short book, which is now owned by Netflix. Rolled, rolled down, rolled, rail, 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 doll, real deal, roll doll's a real deal. For our visual learners, um, I have it right here. Oh. Alex purchased this book for me a couple years back. It is a delightful little yarn about a fox who doesn't fit in very well with his community He's because. Fantastic. The rest of them want to try to make a living and, you know, live honestly off of this valley. And he just likes to steal and lie. And um, but in a cute way. But he's very charming. And in the movie, he is married to a lovely woman. They have a child together named Ash, who's voiced by Jason Schwartzman. Hmm. And partway through the movie, his brother, Eric, voices Christofferson, who is their cousin who comes to stay with them. So you kind of see that interaction and he plans this big three part heist to steal from the three nearest farmers in the valley. And it goes great. (laughs) It is awesome. (laughs) There you go. I don't have to watch it. If it goes great, like what? No, I'll watch it because it goes goes Um, so well that the three people hunt down the fucking fox. And that's the movie. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) The first fox or the first farmer uh, has like these apples they're like special apples which you know another one of anderson's kind of like this is a thing that could exist but doesn't in the real world Mm. um so he has these like sparkly apples and he turns it into the most delicious cider apparently it tastes like liquid gold the second farmer um has is willem dafoe in that does he play the rat he's the yeah the guard rat (laughs) spider-man fans out there just got uh pretty excited Yes. I know who that is. They don't. <laughs> He's a, a familiar name for sure. You don't know um, really who he is deep down. Like I yeah, do. he tries That's to true. pull off <laughs> these three heists without um getting busted by his wife and 
It doesn't happen. This movie was highly praised among critics, and it was nominated for Best Animated Motion Picture, although it barely made back its production budget in box office. So people loved it, didn't make any money. You know how it goes. Animation's expensive anyway, you know? Yeah, classic stuff. I can't even imagine how long they worked on it. (laughs) Then, three years later, as he does, another film comes out, his seventh film, Moonrise Kingdom, starring Mm. Bill Murray, we see a new addition with Frances McDormand. Love her. Mm-hmm. We see Edward Norton. He's new. Bruce Willis. New. Tilda Swinton. New. And Jason Schwartzman. Again. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and favorite. Um, Moonrise Kingdom, I think, is the movie that a lot of people fell in love with Wes Anderson because of. It had a pretty widespread like movie theater release. Um, and it's just funny and sweet it's a coming-of-age comedy that's set in this fictional new england town on a tiny little isolated island where they like get their mail by plane and they have to worry about storms because they have to bring in their fishing boats and you know stuff like that it's it's very cute it's your midnight mass kind of isolated island community Hmm. yeah and these two kids meet at a church pageant and fall in love and start writing letters to each other and then they plan to run away because neither of them have good home lives mm-hmm. um and the boy the young boy is a a scout like a boy scout sort of their own version of boy scouts and edward norton is his troop leader and when he goes missing edward norton and the entire troop go looking for this boy and the runaway girl it's the news yeah. spreads fast they they all live on an island together but only as fast as a switchboard can go you know <laughs> which is not very fast no one of the things that like i think about during this time too is like this movie came out at like the peak of like hipster culture yes. becoming a thing where it was like not just the <laughs> like it's where like everyone wanted their entire lives like tinted in like sepia colors yep. right and this and- movie completely fulfilled that Oh, yeah. So it was like everybody who wanted to feel like a unique individual was like, oh, this movie's so quirky. I love it. But it's actually a fantastic movie. I mean, the costumes are just precise and spot on. The setting is both like eerie and familiar and beautiful. Mm -hmm. There's a scene in the like boys camp where it's like beautifully constructed these like massive tree houses and like wooden bridges and then at one point it floods and like a huge gush of water comes through the boy scout camp and (laughs) yeah and i think this movie like really also highlights like wes anderson's ability to like he over he he gets his point across very much by over exaggeration yeah <laughs> like overemphasizing like his point <laughs> yeah and especially in a very uncomfortable way in this movie wow. the awkwardness of coming of age and teenage sexuality yeah it's there's there's a there's a single scene in this movie that's just kind of like I don't like it. I don't like this. It's weird. It's weird. And then it goes away and then it's like, all right, cool. It never gets mentioned again. (laughs) Yeah. But if you're 13, it's relatable. Yeah. It's it's one of those things where like even it's uncomfortable because of how awkward and relatable it is. Oh, I see. Yeah. 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 And there's also this sweet budding romance between Francis McDormand and Bruce Willis, who's the town sheriff. Mm -hmm. And he kind of gets embroiled in the children going missing has to go find them it's a small-ish community and um 
this boy, his parents are both dead. That's why he's he's living with the scouts. They're they're his family now. And when he goes missing and Edward Norton's troop leader management is considered uh, insufficient for this boy, they call in social services played by Tilda Swinton (laughs) and she never gets a name. She is only ever just social services. Yep. Hmm. <laughs> the um, concept. <laughs> yeah, just the concept alone of social services, which is scary enough. Oh, yeah. The system is effed. Yeah, big time. <laughs> but I dearly loved this movie when it came out in theaters. And two years later, we are hit with another Stone Cold Anderson classic in A the bop. Grand Budapest Hotel. Oh, my favorite. Everybody and their mother loves the Grand Budapest Hotel. Red flags for a guy. First date, he says, what's your favorite movie? Then he says, incorrect. The only correct answers are Shawshank Redemption, fucking Pulp Fiction, or the Grand Budapest Hotel. That's a red flag. But if he says it on the second date, you're good to go. Oh, wow. Is that from something or did you just make that up? That's an Alex C. original, baby. Top of the dome, baby. (laughs) Say what? One more time. I dare you. (laughs) But yeah, um, 2014 was a big year for Grand Budapest Hotel. It did very well in the box office, possibly because it was starring Ray Fiennes, who was already super famous. Mm -hmm. He's Lord Voldemort. You get it. Uh Um, (laughs) He's also just a great act. I've recently learned. He is fantastic. Does he have a nose in this movie? He does. No, he permanently cut that shit off for Harry Potter, dumbass. Yeah, you could have told me anything, I believe. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Also, a fun little tidbit for Spider-Man fans is that Tony Revolori plays Zero in this movie, and he's Flash Gordon in the Marvel Universe. So, you know. What? Yeah. (laughs) He was a a little guy back then. Oh, he's the the guy who's like way into D&D, right? Is he? Flash? Flash? Flash Gordon? Who are we talking about? Are you not Fla- listening? That was for you. <laughs> yeah. Fl- Fla- you know who Flash is. You know, you know, I know Flash who Flash Gordon. Thompson Flash is-, is. Yeah. Gordon? Not Flash oh, was- Gordon. No, no. Flash Gordon. Gordon's an old sci-fi uh, comic. Yeah. Flash Thompson. That's who we're talking about. Flash. Oh, you should just. Yeah. yeah in the okay. Marvel movies is played by the same guy who's zero. You get it. Tony Revolori. Just edit this out. <laughs> <laughs> Wait. In, I'm leaving in what? Oh, in uh, The Amazing Spider-Man? No, he in no, uh, in, in it's, it's the amazing spot, right? Because that's the only homecoming, no, in homecoming, in homecoming and, and, home, yeah. no oh, that guy. There have the been one, three yeah. different Flash Thompsons. You yes. can see the confusion. <laughs> I mean, but I'm back. Have you now. seen the sure, Grand Budapest Hotel? Seen Grand Budapest. No. Oh, oh okay. well, that, well, that explains it, it. Well, that yeah. does explain it. Yep. It also has Saoirse Ronan, her first foray into the Anderson universe. Yep. Uh, Jeff Goldblum again, Willem Dafoe again. Wow. F. Murray Abraham. Oh. We see Bill Murray, Owen Wilson, Tilda Swinton, and Jason Schwartzman wow. return. <laughs> um, and this movie is set in the 1930s at this lavish hotel called the Grand Budapest Hotel. And it follows the adventures of Ray Fine's character. Uh, M. Gustave, who is the concierge, and his lobby boy Zero during a murder investigation of one of his former lovers. <gasps> he is known at the hotel for being a man who can please women of an advanced age who perhaps don't have a spouse anymore. Just like Rasputin. Indeed. And then <laughs> the one of those days, uh, one of those old biddies kicks the bucket and he becomes part of the murder investigation because she left him some weird stuff in her will. 
Like? Classic stuff. Like an elusive painting. Of herself? Nope. I don't remember what the painting is of. It was uh, like boy holding an apple or something. Yeah, it was like a famous painting worth a lot of money. And everybody was like, well, why would he get it? Because they were boarding. Yeah, like it was like the prized prized thing within her like collection of all things. It is indeed a boy holding an apple. We were porking, so I gave him a nice painting. Get over it. (laughs) It's none your business. What I do with my pork friends is my business. (laughs) (laughs) But in this one, I think... We really see more than ever. He had been dabbling in it before, but I think this movie really drives home the idea of this limited color palette. You see like a soft sky blue, uh, a sweet like soccer, a peach pink and some brown, some earth tones. And that's about it. Yeah. Don't forget forget the, the deep uniform purple. Uh, of yes. course. Yes. A deep <laughs> royal purple in this like satin uniform that the lobby boys wear. Lobby mm-hmm. boy. Uh, I want that costume, by the way, after I Googled it, I was like, oh, this is a Halloween costume. Um, <laughs> it's a good costume. It would be very sweaty, though. Of course. All Halloween Can't costumes are very it. sweaty. Um, <laughs> it happens. But this is the first uh, Wes Anderson movie that I can think of that I'm like, oh, that's Wes Anderson. Like when people say Wes Anderson, this is the first one that pops in my head because it's the one that like plays with the framing, plays mm-hmm. with the like miniatures is another thing that we see in this yeah, one. You see a little yeah. miniature hotel. A lot of the scenes have to be set in like these massive miniatures that they film from far away to make it look real, like a real yeah. town. It's pretty crazy. Hmm, everything needs to be like very symmetrical in its framing i just realized yeah. how much wes anderson movies remind me of mr rogers neighborhood but absolutely it does because of miniatures yeah that's why yeah. You, that's why i like model trains because you get you know the little miniatures and then you you know you have a little train by it so part how of did you how did you loop trains back in it's a loop. How dude. did you do that? It's a circle. Well, I was going to say part of the charm of Fantastic Mr. Fox is that Ash, the sun, has a train table. And at one point you watch the train go around and then you realize that it's actually a miniature of the valley that they're in. And it's a real train. Mm-hmm. It's really pretty adorable. Cool. Now I got to watch two movies. <laughs> <laughs> Keep the trains coming. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the next film in his works took the longest amount of time in between release, which makes sense because it is another stop motion claymation picture. Another stop motion claymation banger. Yes. This was called Isle of Dogs. It came out in 2018. Um, It didn't necessarily do as well in the box office as Grand Budapest Hotel, but I think that might be because of a language barrier issue that we run into in this movie. Mm -hmm. I think it is absolutely brilliant, but it is sometimes hard for people who can't read and process auditory things at the same time. And hey, you're just now learning about that, huh? I am. <laughs> From um, dating me. It's hard. <laughs> Some of this movie is spoken. It's set in a a mythical town, a fake town called Megasaki in Japan. Mm. And a lot of the characters, like the young boy that we meet, um, only speak Japanese, but there aren't necessarily subtitles for them. They're limited. We see them if like the little boys on the news at one point and there's an interpreter 
and she translates what he's saying, which is the interpreters played by Francis Dorman. Ding. Name check. Um, <laughs> but sometimes we just don't know what he's saying. And in this town, Megasaki, there it's set in the future and there is a dog flu that they discover that starts wiping out some of the population. So mm. the mayor, um, along with this skeevy doctor pass an ordinance to ban all dogs from the town and they all get sent to trash island so they start just shipping the dogs off in droves the first of which being the mayor's young son who um his name is atari and he has a dog spots kobayashi who is like his ward he's his translator his guardian because atari's kind of sickly and somehow in this universe dogs can understand us we just can't like you know communicate back we can talk to them and they can understand it but they can't talk back to us wes anderson so, does what he wants so this dog you know he knows what atari wants and needs and thinks and then he is even though he didn't infect anybody he's the first dog that's shipped off when this ordinance is passed it's basically shown as like an act of good faith like look i'm getting rid of my dog too this isn't right. just a you guys thing uh, and yeah. this is based off of a World of Warcraft bug that happened years ago. What? It's not, but okay. it's very similar. <laughs> he needs to start spouting, stop spouting all these plausible facts that I believe. No, <laughs> but, you say him. no you guys I, I know what you're this? talking about. Yeah, yeah, the World of Warcraft bug where there was a raid that uh, one of the features of the raid was you could catch an illness, um, mm -hmm. but the illness wasn't supposed to leave the like raid boss area. Um, but people had summons as like pets and stuff and the pets could also get this bug. What? So, so when they would, um, call back their, uh, their pet or like despawn their pet, um, and then leave the raid area, it wouldn't clear the animal of the illness. So they ended up releasing this illness into the world of World of Warcraft. That's and crazy. there was a plague that happened in World of Warcraft where there were literal bodies lining the streets of World of Warcraft no. and they could not stop the illness and they tried to get people to quarantine in the game so that the illness what? would go away. Yeah. They tried like getting people and then some people like decided to start basically griefing other characters by getting yeah. them sick on purpose and people's <laughs> characters were dying all over the place and then finally world of warcraft had to completely restart um yeah their they, game. they had to shut down the servers and then make it so that way it's like as soon as you wow. leave the raid everything is cleared mm -hmm. yeah huh. and the the, cool, the coolest part about it is though is that it was so comparable to mm -hmm. like real life uh plagues yep is that mm -hmm. COVID, scientists actually use it <laughs> as like studied it as research into like what a real life plague would have like what how yeah. that would happen yeah Whew. so like a real life pandemic they were able to basically get a survey of what a real life pandemic would look like and you know our lives now we know that their survey was pretty damn accurate pretty <laughs> Unfortunately. accurate turns out and ever since then the people who make world of warcraft are like it was an accident it wasn't on purpose but everybody's like we know what you fucking did <laughs> there's an epidemiologist among part, the part of it's because it took them so long to fix it like they it was kept, like oh embarrassingly long they kept yeah. trying to leave it to the community to fix it and basically be like okay here are the new rules don't do these things and then everybody just did them yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway <laughs> that's kind of like isle of dogs <laughs> so sure you know they have something to point at so they're like just ship the dogs off you know well that'll that'll fix it mm. 
Just shipping the dogs off to Trash Island. Ship off um, the dogs. So Atari's <laughs> rightfully pissed um, that his dog got shipped off. And he just has this feeling that he's still out there. So he hijacks a plane, like a little one-person flyer plane. This actually goes, is based off of the Cat Island, isn't it? There is a Cat Island where a bunch of cats just got abandoned because mm-hmm. they were like killing off some other population and they were like so they collected the cats and let them go on their own island and now there's just like a cat island they rule the island it's their island it's cool and also a little scary (laughs) no cats are cool (laughs) anyway sorry so atari hijacks this rocket and he crash lands on trash island to find his dog Mm -hmm. and he meets this gang of dogs that have been going around and working together to find food and survive from other rival dog gangs as you can imagine it's like post-apocalyptic circumstances all-star cast of good boys here by the way yeah talk about name dropping Mm -hmm. um the main dog is played by brian cranston this is his first (laughs) foray into the anderson films you know that one dude brian (laughs) cranston we see a return of edward norton um bill murray the one who was fired from being the hulk you know the one who played garfield you know the one from (laughs) the one from jurassic park continue (laughs) see jurassic park jeff goldblum oh jeff goldblum i thought we were still talking about brian cranston no dude i was doing it one by one for each actor you said got it (laughs) It'll, it'll make sense in post uh, some also <laughs> names that I could drop are Leave Schreiber, uh, Scarlett Johansson. You know, from Avengers. Ken Watanabe, <laughs> no, uh, Greta Gerwig, Francis pass. McDormand. Pass. Pass. <laughs> um, Yoko Ono. You going to pass on that one? You know, because the one who broke a up the Beatles. Character. <laughs> um, it's not true. <laughs> her and another doctor discover a cure for the dog flu um but they are silenced by government officials interesting another parallel to something that could happen in real life (laughs) i don't like this (laughs) this is not fun (laughs) um but it's it's a really beautiful film and near the end um atari is on a national broadcast and he reads a haiku about his friendship with his his partnership with his dog spots and Aww. it really just encompasses you know everything that the that the movie's trying to say it's really beautiful i won't spoil it but um another Please recommend from my list um so that was his ninth film in 2018 and then Another subsequent three years later, we see his 10th and final for now release, which is called The French Dispatch. It came we out saw in 2021. In theaters. Alex and I did see it in theaters. French Absolutely Dispatch. delightful. Weren't even Stubbs members back then. We had to pay for it and everything. <laughs> and this one, I think, takes a bit of a, a step outside of his usual genre template in that this is a story about... Uh, a magazine called the Liberty Kansas Sun that kind of sends out these like French diplomats to go live in France and write about their experiences. And Anderson is quoted as saying this movie is a love letter to journalists. Hmm. So we see three different stories from this French foreign bureau. Of is it this only fictional- three? Mm-hmm. It feels like so many more. I know. Right. That's what I thought, too. We uh, it's this fictional 
newspaper called the Liberty Kansas Evening Sun, and we watched them create their final three main stories for their final issue under the leadership of their editor-in-chief, Arthur Howitzer Jr., until he passes away. Hmm. So we see these three separate storylines, and they each have kind of their own title piece. The first one being the Concrete Masterpiece, which stars Benicio Del Toro, Adrian Brody, Tilda Swinton, Leah Seydoux. Um, And it's about a man who is locked up in prison who is an inspired artist and begins painting and is commissioned by Adrian Brody, um, who I don't really know. I don't remember how they meet, Alex, if you can fill in those blanks, if you remember. First thing I want to say is there are more than three technically because i know there's at least shorter kind of articles in between because the yes. first thing that we see is actually a travel piece um written by uh owen, owen wilson. wilson so wow. so there are more than three i think that's why i felt like there were more than three that's um, true there are three main ones, ones but there are little like you know bylines and mm. smaller articles by people like owen wilson who writes about traveling through france yeah. and um and then if I'm yeah. not if I'm not incorrect, I believe that um, Brody is a guard at the prison who um, sees a piece of artwork that this prisoner paints on a wall and then basically finds it so beautiful that he starts bringing people to see it. Um, he believes that he can make money off of this prisoner. He, yes. he, he knows some art dealers and he's going to start like flipping this stuff for profit. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, he does paint on canvases. Then the last thing that he paints because it's a concrete wall, he paints three concrete walls because he knows that Brody's trying to make a profit off of these and he knows that he can't mm. sell three walls from the prison. <laughs> so genius. Yeah, but he's inspired. He has this muse who is also a guard at the prison, this woman who he paints often, mm-hmm. mostly in the nude. And um, what's that face, you know, Nick? Well, you know, check out our YouTube video. Eyebrows, uh, eyebrows. Our YouTube video version of the podcast to see <laughs> Nick perving it up. <laughs> I mean, that shouldn't But you see, he, you know, he, he <laughs> stares at this beautiful model and then the painting's finished. And it's one of those things where you flip it around. And you're like. Where is she? And she's like, it's it's an abstract. (laughs) Got him. (laughs) That is not what I look like. (laughs) (laughs) It's my racist French accent. Um, (laughs) Can't. The second piece is called Revisions to a Manifesto, and it is about some young French teens who are scripting a manifesto against the war and Francis McDormand, who is also a journalist who kind of gets embroiled in writing their story. And um, Francis McDormand meets kind of the leader of this faction of revolutionaries played by Timothy Chalamet, who is Dune fame of Dune fame (laughs) of call me by your name fame. Um, And he kind of others and others. (laughs) He has this way of like talking to the other teenagers to just like get them riled up and get them passionate about something, you know, the war. They can point themselves at that. Um, And there is uh, Francis McDormand comes to write about Timothy and an unlikely romance buds between the two of them. And if you're not aware, Frances McDormand is in her 60s and Timothy Chalamet is in his young 20s. Ah. Ah, (laughs) So that happens. And at one point she like meets Ah. his mom and it's so weird. But, you know, France is sexually progressive. It's whatever. It's fine. I guess they are. It's 
as fine as we'll let it be. Yeah. So that's the second story. <laughs> and the third one is called The Private Dining Room of the Police Commissioner. And I think this one kind of goes back to, you know, the caper genre. We see Jeffrey Wright, who plays um, Commissioner Gordon in the new Robert Pattinson Batman movies. Hmm. He is the journalist in this story, um, playing opposite people like Matthew Almerich, Stephen Park, Bill Murray and Owen Wilson. Mm-hmm. Or Owen Wilson um, is the. He's the traveling journalist. He's not part of this. Wow. But. um this story, I think, is the longest of the three of them, or at least it felt like it to me. I don't know the run times, but he is writing about that doesn't um, having... make it bad. It was still very good. No, it's delightful. It just he's writing about um, meeting the police commissioner and his family and having a dinner with him. But during this dinner, his son is kidnapped and taken for ransom by this like group of thugs thieves you know the type that are like we're gonna steal your son and then you're gonna have to pay to get him back oh ransom (laughs) yeah ransom stuff (laughs) so um this journalist goes along with the police commissioner and his entire police force as they hunt down his son this one's very cool in the sense that it is the most clear and prevalent in the framed narrative um kind of way of writing where it's like yes this is his story but he is so clearly telling it and that is that is changing the plot because his mm-hmm. opinions are also playing a part in what they're showing. And another cool thing that it does, and he does is... he does have a part in finding his son and the investigation of it. Hmm. Another because cool... he's there, he becomes part of it. Another cool part about this one in particular is that a majority of it's in black and white. But there are moments of color um, that seem a little bit sporadic until you realize that the black and white is the printed text that is in the paper. And Ooh. the color is the stuff that's happening outside of what he's actually writing. Which is very cool. Interesting. And then there's a small part of it that is um, and animated in uh, like hand-drawn 2D animation. Because they couldn't hit a guy with a truck. They can't hit a guy with a car. They don't have that kind of stunt money. So so they're just going to fucking draw that part. (laughs) But it's incredibly charming and kind of takes you out of it for a moment and then puts you right back in the story. And it's important to note that the drawn part of this is in the style of like a New Yorker cover. Yeah, uh, it so is. It makes sense. It's like a comic drawing style. Absolutely. It makes sense for, you know, a newspaper. Yeah. Hmm. So that was his latest release. He does also have Anderson has some short films under his belt, like Bottle Rocket, that was what he based his first movie on, I'm and so a couple sorry. of others. Before we move on, yeah. um, you had mentioned, I just kind of want to talk about, <laughs> I want to talk about this more. I want to talk about the French Dispatch a little bit more. Okay. Um, you had talked about how Wes Anderson said that it was kind of a love letter to journalists. Mm-hmm. Um, but this movie also sort of plays as a metaphor, at least in my opinion, or the way that I viewed it, um, as the death of newspaper and print as a kind of genre of information travel. Literally, like, kind of exemplified in the fact that their editor-in-chief dies. And when the editor-in-chief dies, like, you could ask yourself, well, why don't they just name a new editor-in-chief? But, like, the newspaper die or the French Dispatch dies with the editor. Mm -hmm. When he dies, it shuts down. Um, So this kind of feels more of a love letter to written print um, and to newspapers and newspaper publishers around the world as that media sort of dies off with the birth of the Internet and stuff like that. Because yeah. Bill Murray plays this like 
he is tied into every single story um, because the the paper that they're writing is about Bill Murray, basically, um, knowing that this is going to be one of the last issues. So he has he plays a part in almost every story. Um, and we get to know him as this outlet of creativity and this outlet of expression where it's basically no holds barred. Uh, if you want to write what you want to write, he lets you write it. Uh, if you need a chance, he gives you a chance. Like He pushes is, his writers to be better and to try things that they wouldn't. He is the personal figure of written print, being that it is a source of freedom in writing. Um, and he dies at the end of it. And basically everybody is just left mourning what once was and living in the happiness that it brought. So it's a great movie from start to finish and just from a bird's eye view it is a beautiful uh beautiful message that's it we can move on <laughs> next <laughs> well that currently is kind of the cap on his film career um he has some other smaller works like a couple of short films one of them also starring scarlett johansson um called hotel you know, chevalier of, of don john fame you got it. You had to think about it, but you got it. I didn't want to do Avengers again. Did anyone actually go and see Don John? I, I saw it twice on Netflix, once when I was 13 and once a couple months ago. Oh, okay. Is I it was, that good? No. Who's Don John? <laughs> it was actually that bad twice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I guess we'll never know. He's like Don Quixote. Nope. He's a, he's, he's a Catholic man who masturbates and feels bad about it, so he ruins mm -hmm. his own life, and that's what it's about. Yep. We love that Catholic guilt. And that is the movie. I gotta go. <laughs> and and it's very important that it takes place in New Jersey. I bet his chest hurts. Okay. <laughs> um, and his last that. short film is called Castello Cavalcanti that stars Jason Schwartzman, who is like an Italian race car driver. And it's based on a real story of an Italian race car driver. Um, Wild. <laughs> it's been a while since I've seen that, so that's pretty much all I can say about that one. Um, he goes but fast. He, he has some smaller projects under his belt. He's made a ton of commercials. American Express, uh, Stella Artois for a, a Sony phone called the Xperia. Yeah, um, I remember that. I yeah, had one. He, oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe Wes Anderson convinced you to get it. Just to say. Pop he made off, a product commercial, a short <laughs> film for H&M. Um, some promotional shorts for Moonrise Kingdom and Nick, we come full circle. He designed a carriage for the Belmont's British Pullman train, which began running in October 13th of 2021. Hmm. He that designed up. a carriage for this fancy like rider train, probably because of his work on Darjeeling Limited. The Wes Anderson train. <laughs> I like there how they call it a carriage in Britain. Encouraged. It's a car, right? <laughs> There's also a line of wallpaper made by a company called Murals Wallpaper out of the UK that made a series based on the general aesthetics of his movies, and they are adorable. Links. I'm going to need links. <laughs> we will drop the links in the show in notes. The show notes. <laughs> I was supposed to say. It's expensive wallpaper, but it'd that be worth it. That is a lot of extra work for Nick. You have fun with that, pal. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you the link. Don't even worry show about notes. it. show <laughs> <laughs> um, He does have an upcoming project for fans who are looking for a new work. He wrapped filming for this in early 2021. It's called Asteroid City, and it is the largest ensemble movie he has made made to date which More like blows shitty. my mind what, do you, what? what was that Alex? you haven't even seen you, it yet you i know but it was right there so i took it you want to speak up for the tom hanks uh stars in this film he has joined the wes anderson is this what he was of... filming in australia when he caught covid 
I'll kick Wes Anderson's ass. It was filmed in Australia. It was filmed in Mexico. boy. All right. <laughs> same country, right? I mean, it's... No. Yeah, hey, totally Nick, the what the hell? You say some ignorant shit sometimes. All right, <laughs> All right so here's, here's some more name dropping. This movie is going to star Tom Hanks, yep. Margot Robbie, Hold Scarlett on, wait, Johansson. Wait, 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 wait. Time out, time out, time out, time out. Slow yeah. down, slow down. What's up? Start over, slow down. <laughs> Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. Uh, Paul of, Toy Sto- of Toy Story fame. Margot Robbie. Of, uh, of uh, Wolf of Wall uh, Street. Suicide. Wolf Squad. of Wall Street fame. <laughs> Scarlett Johansson. The Avengers. We need a third. No, we need a third uh, one. No, of, uh, her fame, of her fame. Of her fame. Of nice. her fame. Her. Yes. Yeah. Uh, oh. Lost in Translation, too. That's true. Adrian Brody. Of uh, Wes Anderson fame. The Pianist. <laughs> nice. Have none of you seen The Pianist? Of The Pianist The Pianist fame. is really good. It's beautiful. Of The Pianist uh, fame. The Bill Murray. <laughs> of Garfield fame uh, Garfield. and of Groundhog's Day fame. Yep. Tilda Swinton. Of uh, Avengers uh, fame. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Cranston. Big of uh, Better Call Saul fame. Brian uh, Baking Bread. Uh, Malcolm in the Middle fame. Yeah. Nice. That's a throwback. Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. Oh, uh, Jeff Goldblum. Thor Ragnarok fame. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> True, that's my favorite too. Uh, Hope Davis. Nope. Pass. Skip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she. Um, I just Googled her. Her number one credit is called About Schmidt. Of about Schmidt fame. Oh, God. <laughs> and, and, of about shit fame. And Jeffrey Wright. Sure is. Who's never wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Proven. Uh, so, yeah, it's going to be a very star studded cast. It was filmed in the Spanish city of Chinchon. Good. Good. Ch- Chinchon. Mm-hmm. Nope, Chinchon. We have no idea how to pronounce things here. That's an ongoing bit. Every time that we mispronounce <laughs> something, it's part of the ongoing bit that we do, and it's not because we're ignorant nice bit. so that's we good just don't know they built this massive diorama set there that reproduces the monument valley in colorado why didn't they just film the monument valley in colorado because he loves miniatures don't ask questions i'm gonna ask okay. questions because they were real close don't worry about it he is also in the process of producing you mentioned earlier that Netflix now owns all of Roald Dahl's material. Uh, no, his is, his being, mind you. They just own Roald Dahl. His soul. They did they not own Okay, Roald hold on. Dahl. Let's talk about this for a second. Can we break yeah, it down? Yeah, let's. So they bought Roald Dahl's estate. So oh, they pretty much so bought everything bought, that he is. They bought yeah. everything Roald Dahl ever was, is, and is going to be. With the CGI technology that can bring people back from the dead, Netflix owns the right to Roald Dahl being CGI'd into anything. Yeah. Oh, no. I can't. We got to be serious about this shit because that is fucking wild. And the fact fact that CGI is getting to the point where we can make people younger and bring people back from the dead means that. I I think I have to give credit to Matt Pat from uh, Film Theory on this one because he just did a whole film theory on the fact that Disney is slowly collecting the estates of dead celebrities Mm -hmm. so that they can bring them back in future movies and eventually they won't have to employ actors. They can just (gasps) CGI actors in. They did it. They did it in Star Wars. The only time that that's like okay is if they have recently passed and they were already in the works exactly. of producing yeah. so the here's movie. here's a wild thing is that they were about to make a new movie starring james dean that was supposed to release like next year james dean was gonna star in it james dean has been dead for well over many 60 years. years many years <laughs> go check out the film theory on this just it's cast someone that looks like him just wild what, but, what is happening but that's just a theory right just a theory unfortunately <laughs> no that, that sounds pretty legit um 
But anyway, there's this Roald Dahl story called the... <laughs> here's Roald Dahl, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, he here's has, Roald Dahl. He has Roald this story Dahl. called The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar and Six More, and it is being adapted for Netflix right now with Benedict Cumberbatch, Dev Patel, Ray Fiennes, and Ben Kingsley. Netflix is on their fucking A game. Like well, when it comes to movies. Like, yeah. We might need ads thing. <laughs> yeah, Wait, that's rough. Yeah. We, we, we lost 200,000 uh, subscribers fine, when we expected to gain <laughs> 2 million. Don't even worry about it. Just like maybe there's ads now. Yeah, yeah. but also they made the Adam Project, so. <laughs> I know. It was really good. It was really good. Sucks. So in summation, Wes Anderson is a very consistent director. He plays with these themes and these styles and a tendency to genre break that has kind of given him his own genre. He is considered to be a postmodern director because of his nostalgic attentions to detail and his sub subversion of, you know, the mainstream conventions of narrative and of genre kind of borrowing from whatever piece of genre that he wants to. Um and his love for eccentric characters. You really kind of fall in love with these people and you don't forget about them. And he writes about a lot of themes that connect with people like grief and loss of innocence and dysfunctional families and parental abandonment, adultery, sibling rivalry, unlikely friendships, and a good kooky scheme or two. <laughs> <laughs> which everyone can relate to Every, everybody goes through things like that so he connects to people on a very emotional level while employing these limited color palettes and cinematography like these flat space camera moves that make you feel like you're looking into a dollhouse where people really live um and you know his extensive use of miniatures not just in his stop motion films even incorporated into films with real people it creates this like this isolated world all his own and every yeah. movie kind of exemplifies that and i think it's really amazing and he has been rewarded for his efforts um he has let's see one two three four she's uh, five six seven eight nine plus eleven twenty academy awards under his belt the Grand and he never Hotel. slapped anyone. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a lot? I don't really know. I'm sorry. <laughs> the Grand Budapest Hotel alone winning 11 of those Academy Awards. That thing got showered, honey. It's a good, it's a good movie. The Academy loved it, okay? The Academy <laughs> was like, and it was just like projectile Academy Awards mm -hmm. smacking him. Delicious. And he's got plenty of BAFTAs and Golden Globes, too. He... What's his bathtubs is... have anything to do with this? <laughs> <laughs> They're probably claw-footed and green. This is a comedy show, folks. <laughs> Keep that in mind. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's Wes Anderson in a cute little pastel nutshell, and I hope that pastel you... Pastel nutshell is a great band name. Thank you. <laughs> wow. It's pretty Sorry. awesome. And Continue. I hope that you... Um, entertain the idea of watching some of his body of work entertain this hey entertain this. <laughs> when we get back uh we're back with uh, unicom productions for a quick this Ooh. thank you so much chloe for your time thank you thank you see you in a minute bye bye welcome back 
from that musical interlude that I had previously mentioned. Uh, we are back with Kristen Rose, a.k.a. Unicom Productions on YouTube, uh, a creator of a Dead Mall series focused around our little neck of the woods, as well as expanding out even further in other directions, deeper into Kentucky and into Indiana and into Ohio. She'll tell you herself, but she's back for our uh, quick this segment. She so nicely returned to do a five minute segment for us. Uh, but first off, thank you so much for coming back. You're very welcome. It's an honor. Yeah, we really, <laughs> we really appreciate it. So you have, uh, interestingly enough, something not related to the uh, to dead malls or things like that. Um, but you have a quick this for us this week. I do. Um, they said talk about any entertainment topic that interests you. So I wanted to talk about how right. I feel that that Sofia Coppola's first two movies really influenced my work. <laughs> Nice. Because <laughs> we're way into so it. So we're talking about the Virgin Suicides and Lost in Translation, which would have been her first two movies. Mm -hmm. The Virgin Suicides is a symphony of 70s aesthetics that are not remembered as well because their house is colonial, uh, mid-century colonial. It's a lot of brown. It's a lot of amber. The whole film is just a wash in, in golden tones. And really at its heart, it's a movie about longing and it's a movie about loneliness and mm. collecting all these little artifacts to create a history because I, I guess I should probably put a spoiler alert on this part if you if someone hasn't seen the movie. But it's <laughs> basically about a group of five sisters that ultimately all five of them end up dying as teenagers. And they mm. a group of boys who kind of knew them and kind of didn't start start collecting things of theirs to piece together why this happened. So you've got greeting cards and little bottles of nail polish and lip balm and diaries and things that belong to them. And these are the sort of things that you find in a drawer if you were going through someone's house that it's just like, oh, well, this is very evocative of a very specific time. Like it's it's so mid-70s in the way that people in the Midwest experienced it versus people on the coasts experienced it, which is what we, we would see in movies. If you want to mm -hmm. see the 70s in Michigan, that is The Virgin Suicides. And it's just a beautifully shot film. Air did the score. So it's just moody and dark and otherworldly. And it's just it's so good. And I, I tried to evoke the intro to that that movie in one of my videos because I was just like, you know, this feels like a 70s mall. So I'm going to do a 70s <laughs> intro with the golden glow and the handwritten bubble letters and everything. And. Yeah. So awesome. So Lost in Translation is another one that just kind of expands on that whole concept of you can feel lonely and be around people because it follows a young woman in her early 20s who is on who is tagged along on a business trip with her husband. She doesn't speak the language. She just basically hangs around the hotel and goes out and tries to occupy herself. And the way that these big, brutalist, gray structures are shot, I hope that I can make something that looks that good. And it's it's just a way of photog photographing and, and taking images of a very, very mundane thing to make it look really special. So you see these big gray buildings, but they're, they're teeming with life and she's alone and she's walking and focusing on little tiny details like a cup of water on the windowsill with the gray sky behind it. You can make something look beautiful that is so completely ordinary and that is how it's influenced what I do is 
I'm taking something that we've seen a million times and trying my best to make it seem interesting and intriguing and evocative. And nobody does that better than she does that in Lost in Translation. It's it's just wonderful. It's a breathtaking movie if you've never seen it. That's awesome. How much? That's really great. How much time do I have left? You have two minutes. I have some questions, okay. though. <laughs> she so, has some answers. <laughs> I, I would hope so. Um <laughs> So when you're filming your your uh, your videos and stuff, is that the kind of style that you're going for? They're very stylistic, especially in editing choices. Um, and if if so or if not, what are the kind of choices that you do like consciously make as a filmmaker? Because uh, as that that's what you're doing, you're making these documentaries. Um, are, is there like a style that you follow? That is probably, I, I would say that if there's any specific aesthetic of a film that I'm trying to evoke, it's it's probably Lost in Translation and a movie called The Florida Project that came out after I started making videos, but it's had a bit mm. of big effect on me. And, you know, other mm -hmm. YouTubers too. Uh, I would say Jake Williams and Dan Bell were both huge, huge influences on me. And the other people in DMOD are, were influences on each other, although we've very, very much diverged. We've all kind of got our individual styles now. But yeah, that is probably what I'm trying to evoke. Like I, uh, Sofia Coppola does a lot of shots of light through plants and I can mm. walk underneath mall plants and kind of get that look because I'm only four foot ten. Oh, yeah. So I can just walk underneath them. <laughs> Perfect. That's awesome. Um, and then I had a question that you kind of sparked when you were talking about 70s uh, in certain areas. It's a little unrelated, but I was thinking about this and I was just still curious. Um, so there are parts of the country. I mean, life is different in so many different places uh, than the mid uh, where we're from, of course. Um, but I was wondering, do you think that there's a location in the United States where malls see more success and maybe aren't dying as much because the way of life is so different there? I would actually say West Virginia is one of those places. I only know of two dead malls in the entire state, and I can think of five that are incredibly thriving. And wow. I think a lot of it is that there's a real lack of flat land to build something like that on here. And the ones that do Danger. exist are... <laughs> really, really far apart. We're, we're talking about the opposite of overmauled. If anything, West Virginia is under-retailed because under we are short on places to build it. And from what I understand, our business laws are a little restrictive that it doesn't encourage people to open things. But uh, I mean, the mm. Huntington Mall, it's like it's 1999 in there. It's crazy. Awesome. And it's because they don't have any competition. And I think too, that because you're talking about sort of remote areas where you know, maybe your internet isn't as fast and maybe Amazon can't get something to you in two days, you're more apt to go mm -hmm. buy it in person. And a lot of places, especially in like Eastern Kentucky, JCPenney closed like a bunch of strip mall stores on that side of the state and Peebles closed all mm -hmm. their locations, which were really the only two department stores that would operate in small towns. So if you live in Maysville, Kentucky, and you need to buy a suit to go to a funeral, where are you going to go? You're going to drive to Ashland or you're going to drive to Cincinnati and go to the mall there. So they're mm, they're really, yeah. really far apart from each other. So I think that probably helps. But yeah, actually, West Virginia's malls are doing surprisingly well. So is it still like exciting when you're like, oh, I get to go to the mall because you're like, oh, it's going to be so lively. It's going to be an experience. If I'm actually going to go to a mall to shop, that is where I go. And it's like, oh, I don't have to have a camera. I can actually go in all the stores and just buy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that is and cool. dangerous. It's like, yes, of course. It's like when you're... Uh, when you clock out of work in any retail and you're like, well, now I'm just a customer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Customer's always right, huh? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. 
Thank you again so much for coming back and doing our quick this for us. We do really appreciate it. Um, If you wouldn't mind uh, plugging yourself once more for our audience, just so they know where to find you, know where to watch your incredible content. I make videos about empty malls that are ethereal and moody and you pro- you might like them, you might hate them, but if you want to check them out, we're all we're all ethereal <laughs> and moody here. That's our whole aesthetic. You can check them out on YouTube. My channel is called Unicom Productions. That's U N I C O M M. I'm also on Twitter at Unicom Vids and on Instagram Unicom Productions. Awesome. Thank you again for coming on. It has been such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for having uh, me. The time has the time has flown by. <laughs> yeah, it has. Uh, it, it's been so lovely. Um, as always, if there's something in entertainment that you want to hear us cover, uh, there are a couple ways you can throw suggestions at us, and you might just be invited on to do a guest spot for us. So uh, the first and easiest way to do that is to go to our website, www.entertainthis.com slash et dash podcast scroll all the way to the bottom there's a questionnaire that you can fill out there go straight to us uh another easy way is to email us our email is entertain this podcast at gmail.com find us on twitter entertain underscore this on instagram we are entertain this podcast and on facebook we are podcast entertain this and as always entertain us so we can entertain you and you can entertain this we'll see you next friday goodbye This episode of Entertain This was written by our show owner and resident fact checker, Chloe Price, with additional commentary from Michael Savoya, Nick Mustakangas, and Alex Steele. Our theme music is Rush Bubble by Aaron Spencer, with interstitial music by DJW. Tune in every Friday for new episodes, and thanks for listening.